Hey folks, Sean Engel of the Just One of the Guys podcast here. Just letting you know there's some interesting changes going on with Just One of the Guys. As I mentioned last issue, or issues out, the Two True Freaks website has finally gone up, and now they have their own site at twotruefreaks.com. And because I'm a member of the Demonsicore family podcast, I'm at twotruefreaks.com as well. Now, those of you who are subscribing to me on iTunes or subscribing me to the RSS feed at Libsyn, by the end of the month, you should be able to uh, get the new shows over at twotruefreaks.com. I'll be posting shows at Libsyn and twotruefreaks.com, so it's just sort of a transition period right now. But from now on, at the beginning of June, all my stuff will be posted over at twotruefreaks.com. So... Hopefully you shouldn't see any interruption in your service at Just One of the Guys, but if you do, go over to TwoTrueFreaks.com and get the shows there, or go to iTunes and subscribe to Two True Freaks number two, and you'll get all your shows, plus all the wonderful shows that the Two True Freaks produce. Plus, I want to give a shout out to Mike Voyles, Kelly Logue, and J. David Weeder for setting up the Two True Freaks website. You guys are completely and totally awesome. We couldn't have done this without you. They help move all my back issues and all the Two True Freaks back issues over there. So it's going to be a blast. Folks, definitely go check out the Two True Freaks site at twotruefreaks.com and get ready for some podcast excellence. And you can listen to my show as well. Anyway, on with the show. All right, well, if you're ready, we'll go ahead and get this. Like I said, this shouldn't take very long. Usually, no. you know, our, I figure we should be done by, what is it, what, 8, 9.30 over there, 9.25 yeah. almost. We should be done by 10.30 at the latest, I would think. Yeah, I think so. Okay. You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where you cut us right smack dab in the middle of crossover month. Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast. This is an internet radio show dedicated to bringing you coverage of the Greenlander comics from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004, with a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, two of my favorite Greenlanders ever put to the four-color page. And this time out, we're going to be doing a little less work this time. This time, we've only got two issues to cover, Greenlander number 65, which is unfortunately another crossover issue. With the Flash and the Teen Titans and blah, 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 blah. And I'm not going to cover them. You can go find out more about them. But the issue I'm going to cover is pretty much self-contained. So that's a good thing. However, what's not self-contained is the Guy Gardner issue, which is the finale of the Way of the Warriors storyline. 
where we find out what Hawkman, Guy Gardner, and Diana in her non-wonderful uniform are doing. Owen Probert's there too, so that's always good. But because it is a show that Hawkman is guesting on, of course I have my very good friend and Hawkman enthusiast on the show, Mr. Luke Jackanetti. Hey Luke, welcome back. Oh, thank you for having me back, Sean. Although I think at this point I might be writing an email saying enough with the Jackanetti guy. <laughs> you know what? Uh, just, to, just to mention, to plug you in, I was listening to uh, uh, Robin Shag's uh, Fire and Water podcast. The epic, you know, seventeen-hour one that they just put out. Have you listened to that? Yes, all all, all thirty-six hours of they, it. They they mention you for about seven hours of it. I mean, they just go on about you and Frank, or yeah, you, you and Diablo Frank just going on and on. So that was that was enjoyable. I think I think if they can stand uh, the uh, Fire and Water podcast, they can definitely stand you being on the show. And, and you know, I don't. Frank tried to do my voice, and for some reason, he thinks I sound like olive oil. <laughs> and clearly, I sound more like castor oil. I think that's true. I don't know how to recover from that. <laughs> I, th- I think what I'm going to do is uh, go ahead and take a little break here. I'm going to plug in a promo for a podcast, perhaps a podcast of one of my co-hosts here. Well, the only co-host here. And when we get back, I will go ahead and dive right into issue number 65 of Green Lantern. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hey you! Yes you! Hearing this message. Do you like podcasts? Well, evidently you do because you're listening to one right now. Do you like giant monsters? Of course you do. Who doesn't like giant monsters? Well, then have I got the show for you. Earth Destruction Directive is the newest Daikaiju podcast on the internet. And we talk about all your old favorites, like Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, and Gamera. But also lesser-known monsters, like Gappa, Yangari, and Giawa. We cover everything from movies to comic books to video games, and we're kicking it old school. This is breaking news. We are receiving word that Earth Destruction Directive is now a part of the Two True Freaks podcast network. Listeners are advised to stay in their homes and listen to all of the fine quality podcasts on the Two True Freaks podcast network, available at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. We now return you to your regularly scheduled broadcast. Wait a minute. Is this true? Earth Destruction Directive is now on the Two True Freaks Network? You bet your oxygen destroyer it is. So if you love atomic-powered, fire-breathing, hardcore, giant monster action, then head on over to twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and check out Earth Destruction Directive. We're turning all of your daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. Oh. 
Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hardworking people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds of this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of thought. This looks like a job for Superman. Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. And we're back. And as emails are piling up and, well... Oh, I wanted to actually mention something about it before we get into the issues. As of the record, as the date of this recording, Two True Freaks and Chris Honeywell have announced on the uh, Comics Monthly Monday podcast. Unfortunately, by the time this comes out, it will probably be next month's Comics Monthly Monday, but wibbly wobbly timey wimey but chris honeywell has mentioned that two true freaks is starting up their own new website instead of being at the libsyn site it's going to be two truefreaks.com yes this is going to be very beneficial for them because unfortunately libsyn charges a lot of money to host your podcast and there was even some problems with the two true freaks of getting all their podcast out because sometimes they would go over bandwidth levels because well Chris and Scott like to talk a heck of a lot in time, which is awesome. But unfortunately, it isn't awesome because they were paying a lot of money for it. Well, now they've found a way to get around that by having their own sign and their own website. And pretty soon, maybe even by the time this episode comes out, twotruefreaks.com will be opening up. And Chris has been polite enough to ask me if I would like to host the show on the Two True Freaks site and as it'll be saving me money as libsyn servers i've said yes so hopefully we'll be working out something where if you are subscribing to the show your subscription will keep going you won't have to do anything you won't have to make any changes if you go to the website that may be linked to uh, the two true freak site but uh just saying things are in the works for uh, just one of the guys to become a uh, member of the Two True Freaks podcast family. So Luke and I will have even even more in common because uh, wasn't Earth Destruction Directive originally uh, on its own and then it got picked up by Two True Freaks? Yeah, that, that was um, Earth Destruction Directive actually was I believe the first show that, that did what I call the syndication route. <laughs> it was I was producing it on my own and, and then uh, we brought it over to, to Two True Freaks for hosting and and you know joining two true freaks is, is very beneficial for podcasters i will just say that make sure you have all your shots before signore demonzo's um associates <laughs> if you can call them and and also you know read the contract well uh, i know uh i know when we signed on uh oh Stephen lacy to come on and co-host the uh who true freaks one yeah. He, he didn't read quite all of the contract, and the uh, he found out, uh, much to his chagrin, that the uh, 
female associates that were sent to his door really weren't quite all female. So, yeah, I, I had to make sure that I, I changed that or didn't uh, sign that into my contract. So Yeah, it gives new meaning to the term, you know, the argument of manned versus unmanned, you know. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to mention that uh, – I don't think you'll. I don't think any listeners will find any change in the thing. But I'm just uh, putting that out that this might be happening sometime soon. So just to get the word out. But uh, other than that, preamble stuff. I have nothing. Uh, Luke, do you have any preamble stuff? Uh, no. Um, I'm just glad that if you're joining Two True Freaks, glad to have you aboard. You know, yeah. it's always good to have another fine quality podcast to help buoy up shows like mine. So, oh, Luke. <laughs> Self-deprecation doesn't serve you, Luke. Your show is awesome. Seriously, it is. Uh, you know, uh, no one, really, Luke, no one knows more about uh, the the genre of tokusatsu and daikaiju than you do. I've heard no one else uh, talk about this and with the detail and passion that you do. So, honestly, Earth Destruction Directive is an incredible show. Well, I, I appreciate that, Sean. Thank you very much. Well, no problem. Uh, but let's go ahead and we'll turn this around and we'll get into coverage of Green Lantern number 65. So Green Lantern 65 was cover dated August 1995, released on the uh, 27th of June 1995 with a cover price of $1.75 US, $2.50 Canada, and a pound $25 UK. The title was Rescue, The Siege of Z Charam, Part 2 of 5. So we're coming in the middle of the story, but unfortunately, if you want to find the rest, you'll have to Go hunt the books down yourself. The writer was Ron Mars. The penciler this time was Ron Lim. Inkers were Romeo Tangal and Terry Austin. Colorist was Rob Sowager. Letter Albert de Guzman. First Officer Eddie Braganza. And Captain Kevin Dooley. Captain's Log. Start date 4895 2.8. Lieutenant Commander Donna Troy reporting. The Titans have been sent to investigate a gravity well near Jupiter. And, by coincidence, the team has been sucked through the other side of the galaxy. Of course, half the team was abducted by aliens upon our arrival with the ship leaving to warp before we could mount a rescue operation. Luckily, scans revealed tra- a traceable energy trail, which we followed to the location of the ship. And, as I speak, Green Lantern and Supergirl are making their way to the ship to retrieve the captured Titans and stop these aggressors. I'm attempting to put my fear away my fears that Kyle will want to boink Supergirl over me, <laughs> since he's male, and Supergirl is, you know, hot and stuff. But my bigger problem is, with Arsenal gone, I'm in the tenuous team role of team leader, a role I'm not entirely comfortable with. Commander Troy out. I don't know why I just started doing Anyway, of course, as this long injury occurs, Kyle and Supergirl are doing exactly... That, while Dark Star Donna Troy justifies her decision to send out the two to rescue the rest of the team to a roided out silver surfer. Um, no, that, I mean, it's Minion. He just looks like Silver Surfer. The super shiny strong man barks that he didn't let his homeworld get decimated and allow Galactus to bond this armor to him, but no, wait, I'm sorry. That's the other guy again. Anyhow, Minion questions Donna's laissez faire attitude about interfering and decides to head out, his, head out himself much to Donna's chagrin. Meanwhile, Supergirl and Green Lantern had found a way into the ship via a convenient opening that Supergirl ripped in the hull, and the duo begins the search for the captive Titans. Kyle tries to make things a bit more personable by revealing his name, but Supergirl isn't the trusting soul. 
Realizing that they've got a lot of searching to do, the two round a corner to be confronted by a legion of red-headed, leather trench coat-wearing Fabios who open fire on our pair. Kyle rings up an Esh shield and conveniently falls on top of Supergirl to quote-unquote protect her, then the two engage in this issue's bout of Fighty McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved. We cut back to Donna, who is watching Minion slice up in ships with a power cosmic as he commands his surfboard to... No, no, wait, still the wrong person. Donna then gets all mopey because she's stuck doing desk duty and she wants to be out kicking a little ass. Of course, why she doesn't is beyond me since, oh, I don't know, she's a freaking dark star or something like that. In the meantime, Kyle and Supergirl are hiding from the Fabio Brigade when Supergirl comes up with the idea that will speed up their search for the Captain Titans. Making Kyle pinky promise that he won't reveal what she's about to do, Supergirl morphs herself into the image of one of the alien Fabios. Nonplussed by the transformation, Kyle allows Super Fabio to take him all Chewbacca-like to the detention level on Deck 5. Arriving there, Supergirl changes back to her normal hotness, knocks out the guard, and frees the Titans. On their way out, the Titans meet Alien's plot device and exposition, who tell them about the whole Galactic War thing going on. Kyle frees the aliens and they all hightail it back to the Titan spaceship. Upon getting there, Arsenal yells at Donna for letting Norrin Rad, no wait, sorry, it's Minion, go off half-cocked to take off the alien fleet. The bickering ensues until the Herald of Galactus, oh, keep doing it. Minion enters the ship battered and breathing. Minion claims that they're after him, and Donna asks exactly who is after him. As Minion proclaims, all of them. go green lantern number 65 what do you think about this one luke uh well i I mean to be frank i was a little confused when you sent me this uh oh it's doing green lantern 65 and i look at the the cover it says uh the siege of zycharam two of five and i'm like did i miss something no you didn't this is (laughs) one of these books that's since Green Lantern was in with the Teen Titans at the time, this is one of these crossover books that I think crosses over with uh, The Flash, Teen Titans, The Dark Stars, and another book I'm not exactly certain of. And I'm not exactly certain of it because I haven't re- researched it, I haven't collected it, and I probably won't, just be, to be honest. Because, you know, Thomas DJ kind of shied me away from the Titans book. He said that it was kind of a dark time for them. And he kind of said that if you really wanted to, you could probably get all the relationship stuff and all the good stuff between Donna and Kyle, essentially in the Green Lantern book by itself. So I'm sticking with it. And I think on its own, this is a good standalone story. Yeah. But I'm certain if you wanted to find out what the Z Charam are, you could probably uh, pick up the rest of these issues. But this isn't a Teen Titans podcast. 
because then I probably wouldn't be on it. But uh, <laughs> I, just say, I, I like the cover a lot. Um, and it, I think I haven't looked this up either, but I think it looks like this is one of those covers that um, would be like a, a quintip where you get all five of them and they probably lay out to form one big image. I, I wouldn't doubt that. You know, I could probably check, you know, uh, Mike's Amazing World. If you want to, I'm betting if you check Mike's Amazing World, we could probably find that out real quick. Yeah, well, it's just, you know, if you look at, and, and it's a good cover in general. You know, uh, Kyle looks real good in the foreground. Um, th- this is a Supergirl I grew up reading because, um, uh, you know, I, I grew up reading comics in the 90s, so the Matrix Supergirl is the one I remember. I think she looks really great on this cover. You know, uh, she's uh, looks really, like, the muscle tone on her, her arms looks real nice, you know. And uh, just the, the in the planetary background and the special effects coloring, it all just makes a nice... Very eye-catching little cover. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the way Ron Lim, uh, I guess, yeah, this is Ron Lim doing the art on the cover as well. He's got the characters down uh, really on model. Both uh, Supergirl and Kyle look really good. And I think they're, uh, they're, uh, the coloring of the green and the blue and red really work well against the sort of dark black starscape that they have in the in the background there. Looks good. Yeah. Uh, then my, my first note is uh, right on page two, the, the two-page splash. Actually, the first page and uh, the second and third page. Donna gives us a really nice recap of what we missed in the issue we didn't read. Mm-hmm. So that was very, very nice of her because I'm like, oh, okay, I'm caught up now. I don't feel so bad. <laughs> yeah, well, that is that is one of the nice things, you know, that it we don't have to know exactly what's going on. That's why I like about this book. It does stand out on its own, but if you wanted to go and read the entirety of the story, you could go pick it up, but uh, it's, this book works as well on a standalone issue thing. It's nice to know that there is a larger event going on, but it's not something that I think that if you just read this book, you're going to be completely lost. Oh yeah. I said, I, 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 I felt very comfortable by getting caught up on that. So I was right there with it. Um, then, uh, jump over to page, f- uh, four, uh, two things. First, I, I really like, uh, Kyle's, uh, little UFO that he brings up here on the panel two. Oh yeah. That's really pretty cool looking. Yeah. It looks that's like, one... like, um, like an eighties arcade game kind of thing. Yeah. It does have a sort of, oh, the galax. well, not really Galaxian, but more like maybe a Xebius type ship yeah. design. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So that 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 was nice. That just uh, and I and then in the panel three right below it, uh, I mean that's just an iconic '90s Supergirl right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the one thing that I will complain about a little bit is, and this is typical for all comics and all sort of artistic designs of females in this time period, they look far too barbyish. Their waists look far too thin. I mean, Supergirl is muscular, but her waist is just so thin it, it feels like they didn't get the anatomy quite right but uh the pose is iconic and ron Lim does a good good job at it the one thing i also don't like on this is donna being all sort of mopey yeah. i mean she's wonder girl she's a dark star she is a hero i know she's going through a divorce right at this time and uh, i'm certain she's being written kind of mopey by uh, uh marv wolfman in the uh in the all-star tower the all time all new Teen Titans book, but I, I don't like the fact that she's worried about Kyle. Well, I guess I can understand why she's worried about Kyle, you know, going out there with Supergirl because Kyle's a—he's not a horn dog, but he is a Lothario, and girls tend to uh, tend to come on to him, I guess. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, and and I have a note about that too. I mean, it's if if I don't know, it doesn't seem like the personality trait that Donna Troy would have. If if this was written more like um, Donna saying, you know, uh, Kyle's out there with with Supergirl and he better not get any ideas in his head or something like that, I would buy it more as Donna. Mm-hmm. Oh, not not this. Oh, I hope my boyfriend doesn't make out with Supergirl. You know, I don't I don't see that. You know. Yeah, she's too strong of a character to be doing that. So that's a little misstep on here. But but uh, I, I gotta say, like I said, I just like that we see, like I said, uh, Supergirl's '90s costume here with the V notch belt and the uh, the long sleeves and all that. Just I just think that's a nice. Okay. And then uh, right over on on the next page, uh, panel two, we get to see uh, Supergirl smashing the. Um, I guess it's a cannon or an engine with that big uh, uppercut. Yeah. It's like, that's just a great one panel, you know, no dialogue uh, demonstration of Supergirl's power. Mm-hmm. You know, and then of course, Kyle's uh, space vacuum cleaner on the next panel. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you notice that, you know, this is one of the things that is stereotypical of the nineties, ridiculous amounts of hoses coming out of it. Yeah. You just can't have a thing on your arm. And we'll see this in the guy Gardner book as well. Everything has to have these hoses and tubes and everything attached to it. It can't just be a simple gun that's mounted on his arm. No, it's got to be a gun attached to a backpack that is attached to a generator that's off somewhere. So it's I blame I I blame Apocalypse. He had the tubes going from his back to his Uh, arm. Yeah, that's true. Um, page six. First, thing I want to say is I really like the coloring on the Silver Surfer here. Oh yeah, that's that's one thing that I've. Uh, now you got me doing it on, on <laughs> God damn it on Minion. See, I I have never seen this character before, and I've read a few Titans, and he wasn't in uh, the Titans book uh, that I covered uh, in Green Lantern a while back. So I'm wondering where this character came from. I have no idea who he is, and the fact that you know it's Ron Lim and uh, Ron Mars doing the story, and they were essentially writers on uh, Silver Surfer over at Marvel, it it makes me think. You know, well, this must be just old hat for them. But yeah, I do agree. The coloring on this character, especially uh, moving over to page seven, that bottom panel where you can see Donna's uh, face reflected in the sort of metallic sheen of his is just really nice. Yeah, it is. Like I said, it. I, I have no idea who this character is either. I'm assuming he's someone related just for this story. Could but be. It, but again, that just it's really showing off one of the one of the strengths of this era. Um, in DC that I think gets overlooked a lot was they had some really nice printing hmm. and, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of Baxter paper. You'll find some other people that really hate Baxter paper, but yeah. I like Baxter paper. This, this was not, this was regular, just, it wasn't newsprint, but they're moving on to a, a glossier paper, but it wasn't the high gloss that we have now. Yeah. But give you the opportunity to have colors like this that really just, just pop, you know, mm-hmm. it's just normal coloring and it just really looks really sharp. And I'm, and that's something you see a lot of these DC, these post-zero-hour DC books. Um, uh, Fate was a good example of this era that always had really stupendous coloring. Mm-hmm. That, that's one thing that I'll mention in uh, some subsequent issues of Green Lantern especially. The coloring in the book, especially the coloring of Green Lantern's costume and the sort of uh, blending of colors of the shades like uh, where light is hitting his costume and some parts of the green will be a bit darker and I'll move to a lighter shade of green. It's just, I don't really mention coloring, you know, when I'm covering these podcasts, but these, these issues really do take advantage of the new coloring process that they have. And it really, really looks good. Yeah. Yep. Uh, jumping over to page 10, uh, Kyle rings up the big green S shield 
And all that, the big S shield just made me think of Superman 2 with the super cellophane. <laughs> and, uh, one, one of the, the most criminally underused powers in Superman's arsenal, I'd like to say. Yeah, that's true. Well, you know, we all wish that, you know, Superman would rip a, the uh, S shield off his uh, uniform <laughs> and throw it in to capture criminals more often. But unfortunately, we just have Richard Lester to uh, thank for that. So thank I, you. You must see that in Man of Steel. That's mm-hmm. just a rumor. I don't know. <laughs> I would love to see that. That would yeah. just be so awesome. I'd love to see that, and I'd love to see in Iron Man 3 to see Tony break out the roller skates. <laughs> which which have remained part of the armor for a long, long time, believe it or not. <laughs> really? Because I, uh, I was just looking at something online about some of the, uh, uh, the more wacky things that uh, Tony Stark had on his armor, and the roller skates were brought out as one of them. I mean, yep. they, they were they were showing some of the cooler armors that they had, like the Hulkbuster, of course, which, oh, I can't wait to see that in the movie. Oh, that's going to be next week. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but again, on page 10, yeah, guy, oop, or not guy, Kyle, oops, yeah. I, I accidentally fell on you, Supergirl. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and then, but look at the, look at the placement of her legs. If, if her, if her boot is, you know, a half inch either direction. It's a full-on buffalo shot right here. <laughs> well, uh, I guess this is a code-approved book, so they didn't... But at least Kyle didn't fall in between her legs, so yeah. that's kind of nice as well. Yeah, it's 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 only it's only PG-13, you know, uh, ratfall. Uh, page 11, uh, apparently, again, it's not enough to draw a big, silver, shiny guy. We also have to draw the surfboard in this issue. <laughs> I completely ignored that. <laughs> that, may have there, been... that is Kyle riding on a surfboard. Obviously, obviously, Lemon Mars had had some funds with this. So yeah. that's that's really good. Again, right. they're beating up an army of Fabios, of yes. space Fabios. So I can't fault them for that. If I could beat up an army of space Fabios, I would as well. Fabio, 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 we're, we're Fabio. Fabio. That's right, we are all Fabio, star of book covers, movies, and marketer of his own line of chest grease. And why are we all Fabio? Because everyone wants to be Fabio. Men respect Fabio. Women love Fabio. There isn't a female organism alive that doesn't worship Fabio. Even Janice Ian kneels at his altar. We believe Fabio is here to stay. That's why we've come up with the... Fabio Kit, the jutting, manly, yet accessible jawline, the soft mane of grabbable hair, and the tan, taut, muffiny chest. Fabio Fever, catch it! Sing whatever, sing whatever! Hey! You guys look like Fabio! Yeah? (laughs) Hey, don't laugh, we're Fabio! Yeah, big buttery slabs of Fabio! Ah, she's gone, let it go. Back to you guys. And then I like Kyle's gauntlets on panel two there. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, because it it just I don't know that that looks almost like something like Philip Tan would have done for Hawkman and Savage Hawkman. Yeah, especially that one on his left hand, the sort of uh, double bladed. I mean, it's almost like a batleth type thing, except the curves are uh, concave instead of convex. But it's got the sort of uh, what I'm thinking the spikes on the end is where you could use it as a punching weapon, and then the blades on the sides where you can use it as slicing. But that's that's pretty cool. And it's really, this is a lot of dynamic stuff. And I think having the aliens being all uniform, you know, pretty similar, makes this fight a lot easier to deal with than some of the stuff that we had in the Guy Garter issue uh, back last time because the aliens were all different varying types, so it made it kind of indistinct. This, the 
gives it a more cohesive feel. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's I said I, I, the fighting in this issue is actually pretty pretty strong. I think you know from a again a story that we're coming in kind of blind on. You know, I think it, it holds up well. Uh, jumping over to, to page fourteen, uh, Supergirl does her Matrix uh, thing here, where she shifts into one of the space Fabios, mm-hmm. and um, just again, th- this was something that if, if you were reading Super uh, the Superman books when I was in the nineties, that this isn't really a shock because Supergirl would do this every now and again, and there were times uh, where she would get hit so hard that she'd be, have trouble holding her form together or something like that. Yeah, I remember that happened during the. Uh death of superman storyline where she basically got punched really hard and you know turned into protoplasm but this is also a really good panel and it's effective because the center panel is basically where this sort of radiating light is coming out of and you going from left to right you see her eventually changing you know from supergirl to the space fabio again so it's again good artwork by uh uh ron Lim here and then i love kyle's response he goes, I uh, have to admit, I like the blonde look a lot better. But, hey, I used to live in L.A. I saw a lot weirder stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm certain people in L.A. have uh, changed their uh, looks pretty radically over a course of time as well. It's just a bit bit faster progression here. But L.A. in the D.C. universe. You know? <laughs> well, and it's, uh, it's also a testament to Kyle that he's not completely, totally freaked out. He's like, okay, I'm going to roll with this. You know, I'm around a bunch of superpowered hero people you know i will this is just something different and uh i accept it so it's nice that he didn't fly off the hook and go what the hell is going on here so uh, again a testament to kyle as a uh, character as well and kyle's a guy who in i mean he's been green lantern what about a year now right Mm -hmm. old time uh so he's seen some weird crap go down in that time frame you know and he's (laughs) i think he's kind of just going with the flow at this point yeah well, and you kind of have to. I mean, you're caught out in the middle of space. You know, you're having to fight, uh, you know, evil aliens all over the place. You're having to deal with a bunch of superpowered. Uh, you know, just recently he fought a minion of dark side. So, yeah, if you don't roll with it, you're just gonna be all kinds of messed up. Uh, over on page 16, uh, panel 4, Supergirl takes out the guard with a flick of her finger. Uh, yeah, I love that. I mean, that's just showing her strength. And I mean, she could have punched him really hard, but I think this is just a, a much better uh, display of her uh, of her strength and you know, her ability to use it in a way. You know, it, it's it shows that Supergirl doesn't have to be ultraviolent, and it's also having fun with it, that she can just, oh, all I have to do is tap you, and you're down. So, yeah. love yep. that. Yeah, I was, that was that is nice. And that's, again, that was something you'd see in the Superbooks of this era, either Superman or Supergirl, just, you know, if a, a, a foe was not really a physical threat, it'd be something like that, where it was demonstrative of their, of their power, but it wasn't, you know, over the top either. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, then my last note, jumping over to, to page 20, we get the reun- uh, the, the new Titans get back together here. Uh, Terra looks awfully bombshelly here. Uh, the Terra that I, I remember was kind of uh, girlish, you know? Um, yeah, she was smoking cigarettes and sleeping with uh, Deathstroke. Oh, spoiler. But, <laughs> but she didn't, you know, she was, she still, uh, she wasn't exactly uh, uh, a vamp, you know? And she looks uh, a little out of character here. Maybe that's intentional. I don't know. Uh, I'm thinking, A, it's the 90s, 
and two, it's the Titans. So uh, I don't know. I, just... I mean, her her half brother would not approve of how she's dressing. No. Uh, well, and I don't know if she's supposed to be, you know, a teen. That is pretty pretty slutty teen wear. But you know, maybe that's just the the old band in me now. But uh, yeah. Tara is a difficult, uh, I guess, a difficult character to understand in this timeline because technically this is supposed to be the Terra Markov, but because of zero hour, I don't know. <laughs> Again, zero hour. Thank you. <laughs> and I love that Damage is there, the only superhero I've ever known who's been banned from the city of Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> that, that's a true story. If you read his book... He does something and destroys half of Atlanta and is then banned from ever entering the city again. And and what's funny is Jeff Johns brought that up at an issue of JSA when Damage joined the JSA. Oh, good lord. Like, he's in Atlanta. He's like, I can't go there. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know when you're banned from Atlanta? Yeah. You've done something wrong. Because yeah. I've, I've heard what goes on at Dragon Con. Yeah, seriously. And if, if, if they can get away with that yeah. without being banned, then yeah. If, too weird for Atlanta. <laughs> Where are you going to go? Like Asheville? I don't know. That's oh, zing. A Carolina joke. I don't know if you're, everybody will get that. <laughs> we'll put it in anyway. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's all I got for this issue. Like I said, I, I thought the recap was really useful. And as a standalone adventure team up between Green Lantern and Supergirl was fun. But, you know, it didn't do enough for me to want to track down the rest of the crossover. Yeah, kind of same here. Uh, I like the artwork. Uh, Ron Lim, I could, you know, I could have him on as artist. I mean, he's really good. I don't know what he's doing, or he would have been doing concurrently with this book, but it was nice to have him and uh, Ron Mars together. Uh, they really set. I, I think they really gelled well together, and I think they uh, kind of had, you know, they kind of since they had this uh, stuff going on with. Uh, silver surfer before they were able to work well together but yeah this is a decent standalone issue you don't have to read the rest of it but it it might be interesting if you read it but yeah i'm i'm not all that i'm not all that engaged with the rest of the characters to have to go and pick out the rest of these books uh i hit most of you know i hit most of my notes as well during this so i think i'm uh done with the green lantern issue a decent issue uh uh, a good standalone, not necessarily enough to make me want to go pick up the rest of the stories. So there you have it. But uh, I guess what we'll do now is we will take a quick little break, uh, come back after the promos, and start on our coverage of the final part of the Way of the Warrior storyline with Guy Gardner, number 34. Stay tuned, folks. Greetings, podcast listener. Do you like... Ready to form Voltron! Or maybe... How about I am Batman? Or this is a job for Superman. Do you remember Power Rangers? Or this? Right away, Michael. Or maybe even this? Autobots transform. <laughs> or this? By the power of Grayskull. Or for the honor of Grayskull. Or have you seen the latest episode of Hello? I'm the Doctor. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then check out Charlie's Geek Cast, hosted by me, Charlie Niemeyer. 
Charlie's Geekcast is a bi-weekly podcast covering comics and other geek stuff. The first episode of each month is devoted to comics, where, currently, I'm covering Grant Morrison's run on JLA, one storyline at a time. The other episode of the month is devoted to whatever else I want to talk about, such as movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, and more. Feel free to check it out at www.charliesgeekcast.com. You'll be glad you did. Well, hopefully... Dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And half mankind shall feel that's might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You bastards can't change the way I can. Got me talking to those powerful cousins. I've been expecting you, for I am the thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four is no more and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ramatons, King of Kings, Master of Men. And Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak. Blind or Hulk. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. But it shall sustain him to the living drain of all elemental life. So, speak Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast, ffcast.libsyn.com. And we are back. So let's go ahead and get to our coverage and the conclusion of Way of the Warrior Part 7 and Guy Gardner Warrior Number 34. I'm going to start out with an opening crawl that they have in the book. It started, the way the story goes. Word set out into space with a posse from the Justice League to track down a wild bunch of planet killers known as the Tormachs. But the Tormox and their entire guns had bushwhacked the heroes, taking some prisoner and leaving Guy to, to the mercy of the High Priestess of Pain, Karine. While in space, the League had got the drop on the bad guys with one of Karine's mutant creations, a small band consisting of Diana, Hawkman, and the mysterious Bad One, or Probart, came to the Tormox throne room and busted Guy loose. This did not go unnoticed. The Way of the Warrior Part 7, title is Death Rock, Justice is Coming. (laughs) You. The release date was July 4th, 1995, America. (laughs) Cover price is $1.75 US, $2.50 Canada, and a pound twenty-five UK. 
The writer was Bo Wyatt Earp Smith. Penciler was Mark Virgil Earp Campos. Inker was Dan Doc Holliday Davis. Colorist was Lee James Earp Lowridge. Letterer was Albert Morgan Earp de Guzman. And editor was Eddie Bat Masterson Berganson. The Dread Sauron. Uh, wait, no. <laughs> the, the Dread Tormach leader, Bronk. Uh, be better if he were Sauron. Stands above his throne, monologuing about how he'll crush the last seat of Baldar. Bronk hears that his forces have been caged, Guy, Diana, and Hawkman, and. Probert. And sends his elite squad of unfortunately named minions out to take out our heroes and capture Guy. Karine, the horn, horny female Tormach and sister to Bronk, enters the throne room and has a little sibling Mexican standoff with her brother. Bronk wants to kill Guy, and Kirill, Karine wants to boink it. So they're basically at a freaky impasse that goes nowhere. Meanwhile, our heroes are strategically weighing their options in the upcoming battle. But being that this is a Bo Smith pin book, the, obviously strate- the obvious strategy is to jump in and kick all kinds of ass. But being the 1990s DC universe, you can't have an intergalactic brawl without the presence of it. You guessed it. Lobo. Guy and Lobo hose down the area with testosterone, making bets on who can down the most Tormach, Legion, and Motaran baddies, with the prize being free beer or the main man Space Hog. And with that, the Fighty McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011 Arts Reserved, begins with Hawkman dropping the Mighty Morphin powering Guy Ranger into the middle of the battle then the rest of the gang joining in to mop up the mess. The frantic foursome are doing a number on the alien forces while Guy hijacks a Tormach rocket cycle and heads out to attack War Rocket Ajax. Uh, no, wait, I mean, Leader Bronk. Guy slams into the one ring to rule them all wannabe, but gets grabbed from behind by Karine and kneed in the jimmies by Bronk. Guy valiantly flights back, smashing the Tormach siblings around until he reveals that underneath all the Predator and Sauron armor they've been wearing, the two are actually alien Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. But Guy doesn't have time to be slightly miffed that he could have hit that as the alien rule devourer from the Justice League issue, remember that one? Of course you don't, has come back to punish his mommy by sucking her into his sentient black holiness. This just leaves Guy and Bronk to, to their final showdown, with Bronk encasing Guy in a dome of solid rock. But Guy's not finished yet, as he bursts from the tomb as the resurrected form of Cardone, his Baldarian mentor from issue number zero. Cardone slash Guy says that he's come back to exact justice on the Tormach tyrant as he hands a crushing blow to the face of Bronk, ending his terror. Crisis averted, the spirit of Cardone departs for the body of Guy, claiming that now Guy is the last of the Boldar, the first of Earth, and truly, the warrior without equal. That ends the Way of the Warriors storyline, for better or worse. <laughs> so, overall, Luke, you know, well, what do you think about this issue? And we'll go in afterwards, you know, about overall what you thought of the storyline. I like this issue. Uh, the the 
most, like I said, except right at the very end, I got a little confused by it because I wasn't sure on the stuff with Cardone, what was exactly was going on in there. But overall, I liked it. I think this this issue did something that the, one of the previous issues of this storyline hadn't done, and that was introduce us to who the heck these guys are fighting. Mm-hmm. There's a nice sequence here. It's on page six where we where we learn about all the Tormach elite. Even if it's only a couple of lines of dialogue each. They all get a name, and we get an idea of what they do and what their powers are. Exactly. So that when they go into the fight, it, it, there's actually some kind of understanding of, of what the fight, is, you know, what the the back and forth of the, of the combat is. Mm-hmm. So I like this issue, and as a blow off to the story, I thought it was very nice. I I have to agree. Giving them names and giving them even a minor bit of personalization definitely helps because the one thing that I think we mentioned in the previous episodes about this was all the fighting of these vastly different entities really felt muddled and really felt confusing because you couldn't latch on to who was fighting who, where they were fighting, and when they were fighting. So it just led to a very disjointed storyline. Uh, the artwork in this gets a lot better than the previous ones and I think uh, with uh, Bo Smith writing in the characters a bit more and giving a bit more personality that also helps with the book as well uh, then uh, I, I don't like that they spoil the surprise of Lobo right on the cover mm-hmm. like that should have been Diana in that pose there I agree I think but see that's a thing it's the 90s yep. it's a DC book yep. Lobo was Lobo was the DC's Wolverine, essentially. Well, so, uh, whenever you could have Lobo show up in your book, it was bound to get sales up. And at this point in time, I hate to say it, the Guy Gardner book, the Guy Gardner book really uh, was doing well when Bo Smith started up after the whole uh, Emerald Twilight thing. But then, uh, once uh, uh, once uh, Mitch Bird left the book, sales unfortunately just started to decline. So I think putting Lobo on the cover was kind of a way to get more people interested in the book yeah but, but also on the cover i've got a you know i've complained and complained about guy having arm cannons this time out shoulder cannons sure. <laughs> why not just uh, you know he's had cannons grow out of his back you know he's got cannons growing out of his arms why not why not shoulders why not it works I'm sure bored used about the pon-pons, really, than anything else. <laughs> well, he's trying to cheer him on. I mean, you know, Probert and uh, Lobo need their uh, little rah-rah-rahs to get him going. <laughs> um, page one, I, I really like the opening crawl that you read. Mm-hmm. Between that and then the, the name of the issue being uh, Death Rock Justice is Coming, I get the feeling that Bo Smith really liked the movie Tombstone. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think Bo Smith... Ha- I think Thomas DJ mentioned that he he would like that Bo Smith would like Guy Gardner to be a sort of John Wayne Texas character, and I agree. Uh, Bo Smith definitely has a very a very John Wayne feel to his stories, and I don't care what anyone says. If you want to be a macho type person, there's no one else that you could emulate more than a John Wayne character. So yeah. I don't mind it at at all. No, and and the story fits that because we've got. You know, the, the group of what I call the white hats and the black hats. Mm-hmm. So you've got Earp and his crew in the form of Guy and his crew. And then you've, you've got the outlaws in the form of the Tormach elite. And they just have the showdown. You know, that's what it's all been kind of building to. And that's, you know, that I mean, that's the, the, the OK Corral right there. So 
I, I had no problem with that overlaying of the OK Corral over this issue. I thought it gave it a nice theme that it played on throughout the entire length of it. Oh, yeah. And, and I like that they use the old Western font here on the opening crawl and then the credits as well. Yeah, it does look sort of it does uh, kind of harken back to the all star Western and Jonah Hex type uh, look of the font. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. But, yeah, that 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 does that works. Yeah. Uh, pages four and five, I mentioned the White Hats. I like that we get, um, again, just reintroduced to the White Hats of the story with Guy and Hawkman and Diana and Probert. And, <laughs> and, I, and I love I love Guy's plan. Uh, you know, just uh, they're, <laughs> I'm going to take the fight to them. The only way they're going to stop me is to kill me. And I plan on taking a few thousand of them with me. And then uh, on page five here, uh, panel four, where Guy is standing on the right-hand side of the panel, and we see just Hawkman, Diana, and Probert just kind of staring at him. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of, mm. but That's yeah. really a stupid idea, but sure, why not? They all jump in on it, and it's, uh, uh, and, and you know, it's, it's just a nice little, again, I, I like static panels like that where they can be used to convey character. Mm-hmm don't like the overuse in modern comics of static panels to to uh, portray the passage of time yeah Here, this is very clear that guy has said his piece and it's a one panel of awkward silence not six panels of awkward silence yes yeah it's just that one little moment where the guys are going taking in what guy said as over the top and ridiculous and uh, really not very thought out. I mean, it's not a it's not a patent type plan. It's not the storming of uh, <laughs> Normandy. It's not a D Day invasion. You know, it's just we're going to go in there and kick some ass. And of course, the fact that all of these characters, well, Diana and Hawkman, are awesome warriors, and then Probert's just along for the ride, makes it all the all the better that they're going to go along with this plan of just going in there to kick some ass. And unfortunately, on that page, that. Uh, that middle panel, I guess, uh, panel six, where you've got Probert in there with his finger up to his chin. Uh, he just looks doofy there. It's one of those, it's it, it's almost a, uh, what am I thinking, a Dr. Evil type look. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we're going to kill them and ransom them for one million dollars. Dun, dun, dun. Ah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, Probert looks like a doof every time we see him in this. <laughs> So, and but, and God looks real good on this page too. I think that well, and yeah. Haw- uh, Hawkman does too. Uh, you know, I I like his very stoic. Yes, it will suffice. I mean, I like the fact that Hawkman is kind of sort of a prototypical. You know, you could put him. I would love to see like a Star Trek Hawkman crossover or a Klingon Hawkman crossover because Hawkman seems like he would work really well with the sort of Klingon aesthetic. But that's just a sort of nerdy you know, fanfic thing that I can see going on. The thing with, with Hawkman and, and reading these issues of Guy Gardner, I've gotten kind of the same vibe from him. There's a line from an early uh, Sin City story where, and I, I don't know if you're familiar with Frank Miller's Sin City at all. Vaguely. But the, the character Marv. Mm-hmm. Who, oh, I know Marv. Yeah. It was played by, um, uh, oh, geez, now I'm blanking. Oh, um, he was in The Wrestler. He was uh, in Iron Man 2. It's Mickey Rourke plays yeah. him. Sin City, the movie. And this line is in the film when, when Marv walks into a bar and one of the other patrons says, Marv looks like he would be more at home on some ancient battlefield swinging an axe. The, you know, and, and so I've always, and especially this era of Hawkman, and now I'm get, kind of getting that vibe with Guy Gardner as well, is that I think they, they wouldn't be out of place there. 
they're almost uh, not well suited for their the times that they live in. Their their attitudes, their their mindset, their approach seems like they're they're throwbacks to another era of just taking taking matters into your own hands and you know solving problems with action. Uh, especially in the 90s, you know, we're 95. We're kind of hip deep in the I feel your pain era of the Clinton years. Mm-hmm. And and the you know political correctness has become rampant in 1995. And so you've got characters and even Diana fits this mold as well. You know, a lot of people like to ascribe. One of the problems I think that Wonder Woman has faced over the years is that different groups of uh, of empowered women will ascribe different traits to her that don't make any sense with the character because of her iconic status as a powerful female. And I think that just confuses the issue, but all, you know, so all three of them at their core are warriors and wouldn't look out of place fighting, you know, the Roman legions. Exactly. And and I think that, I think that's attributed to Bo Smith and his uh, sort of, you might want to call it stereotypical uh, version of uh, manliness because Bo Smith, like I like I mentioned before, is a kind of person who idolizes manly characters: the John Waynes, the Robert Mitchums, the the heroes of the the 1940s and 50s westerns and war movies, and those type of people are who he's trying to portray these characters as. So I kind of get that that he's trying to portray these very straightforward, very uh, take no prisoners, and, you know take no nonsense type characters and it really works well for this book and it really works well for these characters especially guy hawkman and diana probert well, take it <laughs> leave yeah it's like on that one episode of pinky in the brain where they had larry <laughs> yes pinky in the brain and larry <laughs> <laughs> uh, on page six again with the, the black hats making their introduction what, what i thought of with this as they go through and they have their their dialogue is this is such a standard um you know 80s style or 70s and 80s style comic trope where we introduce a group of characters and they have a conversation so that we learn their names and something about them mm-hmm. and, it, and it's done really well here because i doubt any of these guys ever show up again beyond guy gardner warrior number 34 no but i get an idea of who they are and Okay, th- this guy is uh, is a robot because he doesn't have emotion, and this guy's a uh, a psychophant, and and this guy's a uh, a bloodthirsty killer, and and this guy's a, the badass, you know. And you get that all in one page here. Mm-hmm. And again, testament to Bo Smith's writing that he can he can do this sort of trope of uh, letting the characters describe themselves and tell you who they are through dialogue and their actions, and I think it's. I think it's done well here, not only through the uh, dialogue, but the art gets it across as well. The that the one character in that second panel is the uh, sort of murderous slasher type person. So uh, it, it it works in the book, yes. Yep. And I, and I love in uh, panel four here, uh, slab. He calls himself uh, the only thing that will fall in the breed is the great weight of slab, the living prison. Huh. It's like. <laughs> I think Slab the Living Prison was in an Atlas Monster comic in 1950, <laughs> wasn't he? <laughs> uh, he was, uh, you know, he was one of the progenitors of, uh, you know, oh God, what am I thinking? Yeah, I can't remember, but uh, <laughs> it was the same kind of stuff like that we get the giant sized man thing out of, or the the muck monsters thing. So yeah, yeah, like the heap. And, yes, uh, the heap. That was that was what I was thinking of. Uh, then page seven, Lobo shows up, and this page is great just for Guy's reaction. 
staring, I don't believe this. (laughs) I just dealt with this dickweed, you know, you know, just four issues ago. He trashed up my bar. Why the hell do I have to deal with him again? Oh, wait, it's the 90s and he has to show up in my comic. Oh, my bad. Then right over on page eight, we get the stare down between Hawkman and Lobo. Oh, I, I love that because this is the Hawkman who's right on the height level of Lobo, and he would not uh, – I don't think he would take any crap from Lobo, so this is awesome. You'll notice that um, that after uh, Hawkman says that – Hawkman basically accuses him of working with the Tormox. Mm-hmm. After that, Lobo just monologues at him, and Hawkman doesn't say anything. He's no. just He's just, he's just gr- grimacing at him basically. And it's like that is th- this Hawkman since he was merged with the Hawk God is really I mean he's he's he has almost no real personality almost he's so dedicated to his mission that it's like that these two didn't start trading blows right here was kind of amazing to me that Hawkman didn't just backhand him with his mace and knock him on his ass <laughs> well I think Hawkman I think he kind of realized that Lobo, even though he is a complete ass and a complete dick, once he said uh, he's not here for the Tormogs, he was like, okay, I'll let this slide. So, But yeah, that is a nice panel of them showing down each other. And, you know, Hawkman, Hawkman looks awesome here, and Lobo just looks, you know, well, he looks like Lobo. So Yeah. <laughs> what else can you say with that? He looks like Lobo. True. Uh, pages page nine and then the the double page splash of ten and eleven. I love Diana's um, uh, captions or narrative here, mm-hmm. where uh, and just just the the right right at the beginning uh, that they they saw the passing and rebirth of Guy Gardner. And I think this is almost and and again just coming in having read only this is only the third issue of Guy Gardner Warrior. I read that this is both Smith's thesis statement about Guy Gardner. Mm-hmm. This this Diana, is what. Yeah, this is what Bo wanted to have Guy be. You know, he wanted to make him basically the ultimate fighting machine in the DC universe. Maybe not the most powerful person, but the one who you would call in when you needed when you needed the tough things done and you needed them done without, you know, uh, care of who gets beaten up. Uh, and yeah, I know initially Bo wanted to go sort of the more pulpy route. You know, uh, the initial outing that he had Guy Gardner on was a sort of Indiana Jones-esque thing. But editorial took him to this sort of morphing character and the alien DNA stuff. And I think Bo Smith took that and did uh, the best that he can. And it's turned out really well here. So, yeah. Then we get another direct reference to Tombstone. And he says, tell your Tormach daddy that justice is coming. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that the line that justice is coming was the, the, the tagline for Tombstone. Yep. And of course, one of the, you know, uh, the, the Kurt Russell's you know, most regarded lines from that is you tell him I'm coming. I'm bringing I'm bringing justice with me, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and again, just again, I'm, I'm not big on the morphing arms in the guns, but this page looks fantastic. So I can't complain too much. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I will rag on Campos a bit, but this is. This is really good, and him just blown away all these people. And this is a pretty gory page. I mean, there's a lot of red bloodshed and a lot of limbs and everything being blown apart. But I think the coloring on it with the sort of orange look that's coming from the energy or whatever the blast from guys' arm cannons sort of uh, sort of takes away for – it gives this sort of surreal look. 
Yeah. But it is it, it's definitely guy cutting loose. That, that and, was no, it was guy cuts loose. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and yeah, again, even though there is a lot of blood and a, a technically a lot of gore here, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel overdone. It doesn't feel it's a bit adult, but it doesn't feel gratuitous. Yeah. You know, so uh, again, a testament to uh, Smith and uh, here to Campos for doing a a violent image that's not just stomach churningly violent. You know what this kind of reminds me of? Yeah. Did Did you see John Carter? Oh uh, no, I haven't. But it's I I'm pretty certain it's on Netflix. I got to check it out. I think it's on Instant Watch. I, I want to say. It's definitely worth watching, but there is, and I won't spoil too much, but there is a scene in John Carter where he is attacked by a horde of enemies. And and if you know about, um, you know, from uh, Burroughs, John, John Carter, because he's an Earthman on Mars, he has tremendous strength and he can leap because of Mars's different gravity than Earth. Mm-hmm. And he basically wades into this legion of, of uh, opponents and tears them apart. And it's this very visceral and emotional uh, sequence because of, of, of mentally where he's at as he's doing this. But that's what this reminds me of. Just someone this abs just waiting in the combat, someone who completely outclasses his opponents, but they have no idea about that. And it's a catharsis for the warrior. It's a catharsis for Gar for Guy here, after all the crap he's been through in the previous six issues of this story, to finally take the fight to the Tormox and and just completely let go of any inhibition that he has. Well, it might also be a catharsis to guy throughout his entire career to be able to just cut loose because essentially guy has always been, you know, second string has always been held back, you know, has always been told you can't do this because that's too over the top. Now he's able to finally cut loose and do what essentially he was, I guess, born to do. So yeah, it's a it's a nice testament to to that kind of idea of him. Yeah, page thirteen. Uh, one of the Tormach elite says that your wings will bring a high price on the intergalactic market, Thanagarian. Thanagarians don't have wings, so <laughs> I don't know if he just figured out that Hawkman was a Thanagarian and that this one had wings, or if he thought that they were I don't know because they're they're not they're regular feathered wings. They're not antimetal anymore. So I'm not, I'm not, I guess he needs to update his data bank because I think he got some bad information off of Wikipedia. Well, he's, uh, he's probably one day, he's probably still running Windows 95. Well, <laughs> he's probably running, running Windows 3.11 yeah. uh, at this time, so, yeah. Uh, that or he, or he was watching Justice League Unlimited where the Thanagarians had organic wings, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, you know, people make that mistake, you know. Uh, there are so many, there are so many people who think that, you know, they know everything about, uh, you know, comic book characters simply from watching this one movie, you know, I, I can't tell you the number of people who who say they know all about Iron Man just from seeing the first two movies. <laughs> I, that's just as much as I love people who now say, oh, Iron Man was a popular character. Marvel didn't take a risk making a movie with him. And I just laugh. <laughs> laugh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, I would, uh, you know, the tangent here. I was more impressed that they made the Thor movie because I thought that would have been completely unmakeable. But yeah. uh, that movie just surprised the heck out of me that that. You know that it carried the spirit of Thor, and even carried some of the really goofy things that, like Kirby did in the book, like the Rainbow Bridge. Yeah. I never thought that they could bring the Rainbow Bridge into a movie theater and make it look anything but just, you know, a, a, 
a giant gay stereotype, but no, they did it brilliantly and it was awesome. See, and, and I'll and I'll agree because, like I said, I, Iron Man was not a popular character, but I'm a huge Iron fan. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's read any of my emails on this show knows I I always seem to find some way to reference Iron Man somehow. <laughs> Uh, so I was super excited for Iron Man. So that I, I knew it would be good because I knew it's the strength of the character. I've never read Thor outside of the Avengers. So I was I said to my wife, I said, I said, this looks good. But I said, this could be nonsense. This could be two hours of just gibberish, you know, that and, and just be ridiculous. And then you go you go and see it and it has the, the pathos and it has some gravitas to it. And it's like, OK, now that was the correct way to do that. And I think that that to me even more than that Iron Man or Iron Man 2 or Incredible Hulk was kind of the proof of concept mm-hmm. that this is really going to work. If they, they pulled Thor off, who is, to me is the hardest of the bunch to pull off, and they did it well. It's like, okay, I think we're done. I think we're good. Well, and I think we talked about this, you know, prior to recording, you know, the 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 Marvel movies, uh, the, the reason they've succeeded is because they have uh, gotten people who know the genres well. And I think uh, Kenneth Branagh, who's done a ton of Shakespearean stuff, took essentially the Asgardian mythos and, you know, put, you know, basically put that on the screen and made it a sort of Shakespeare play right. set in the Marvel universe. Right. And, and, you know, and, and I think to a degree to, to turn this back to Green Lantern, I think that the, I, I liked the Green Lantern film and I think it had kind of the right idea trying to go a little light with it. And, and I've, I've often said that if you take that cast and crew and make a, a, a Barry Allen flash movie, Mm-hmm. you have a huge hit because the flash should be a little lighthearted like that. You know, Barry Allen's a very, a nerdy guy. You know, I was Barry Allen. I've always, the best description, he's your nerdy uncle. Yes. You know? And, and so I didn't have any problem with them doing the more, a little bit of a lighter touch with that. I think that, I think there were just some problems with the script and, um, you know, and, and competition, I think was part of it. But, yeah, when you adapt these things, you have to get someone who understands what the core of the character is mm-hmm. and, and is and knows what they're doing to adapt it. You know, putting Joe Johnston on Captain America, it's like Joe Johnston did The Rocketeer. Yes. And, and, and whether you like The Rocketeer or not, everyone says, like, well, that is the perfect sign of 40s pulp style adventure film. Exactly. Exactly what Captain America was. And so I, I think when, you know, I, I you know DC, is, the Man of Steel is coming out this summer. Uh, the early advanced word that I've heard. Um, I'm not going to name names. My my brother is friends with a couple of guys who are creators for DC and have won multiple awards while at DC. I'll leave it up to the reader or the listener to figure out who I'm talking about. Okay. Okay. They were invited to a screening of Man of Steel that DC did for all their exclusive talent. And And the response was through the roof for Man of Steel to the point that we can expect, the rumor is that we can expect an announcement after Man of Steel that Snyder and uh, Nolan are going to be like the creative directors for the rest of the DC films. That's apparently how good Man of Steel is supposed to be. I, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. The yeah. the latest trailer that came out for Man of Steel really worked a lot better than than the sort of teaser trailer because I was kind of I was kind of iffy about the teaser trailer. I mean, uh, Cavill looked good as Superman. Uh, the score didn't sound too bad, but this latest one where they had uh, a lot of uh, connections to like Birthright with uh, Jor-El sending his son off, and uh, the you know just at the end they have Superman punching Zod while flying. Yeah, and it looks awesome. So 
despite my uh, inhibitions with uh, the possibility of Zack Snyder directing it, because because and I think I've said this before, Zack Snyder when he's given a uh, a uh, basically a storyboard or he's able to adapt a comic book like he did with 300 and Watchmen, they're enjoyable movies. And uh, Watchmen essentially was pretty much unfilmable in a single film form. And uh, Zack Snyder did a good enough job with it to get the ideas and concepts down well. Uh, 300 uh, was just, uh, you know, have guys, beefy guys and shirtless you know, <laughs> slash people around. And people got all charged up with that. But when he was doing his own stuff, like I've heard Sucker Punch is just it's supposed to be terrible. Yeah. yeah. But uh, he's got he's got a concept with Man of Steel. So I, I think I could like that. But having Christopher Nolan, who for better or worse, did the Dark Knight series kind of was also a turnoff. But the the pre, the previews, the, the, the preview trailer really has gotten me interested. So. Maybe this will be a jump start to uh, DC starting up a, a new line of movies to sort of compete with the Marvel stuff. So, I said, I'm, I'm a you know my my favorite DC heroes are Hawkman and Flash. Mm-hmm. And some Hawkman movie ever happening? Slim to none. <laughs> but you can get me a good a good Flash movie, a, you know, another Green Lantern movie, a Wonder Woman movie. I'll be happy as a pig and slop. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and you know, it may be one of those things where, you know, uh, like like Thor. Hawkman could just be waiting for the right director to come around and do it. You never know. Yeah. Well, but yeah, unfor- you, unfortunately, tangents tangents yeah. are fun. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, uh, I, I do not have my degree from Segway School, like on the Fantastic Cast. So let me just say that getting back to Guy Gardner Warrior number thirty <laughs> on page sixteen, uh, I love this. The first two panels where it looks like Diana punches this dude's head off. Yes. <laughs> See, and that was one of these things that. Uh, I noticed as well. I mean, she punches this guy in the face so hard that it does look like his face just cracks off. But in the next sort of inset panel, she's looking at him and she says, you know, the caption or their word balloon is by Aphrodite, her face. And it's like she recognizes someone. So I'm I'm not certain if this is someone that she knew or whether or not this was just actually that this was a mask that this person was. And she realized that she punched through the guy's mask. So. Yeah, kind of, kind of odd there. And then on on seventeen, uh, where we see Hawkman rip this guy's uh, mask off, and then coup d'état right there. Mm-hmm. Anybody who played who played uh, third edition D anD D is familiar with how the coup d'état works in that game. That's exactly what he does here. Oh yeah, You've got an enemy, and you just it's a crunch, you know. Like, mm-hmm. Well, and again, another another example of there being some gratuitous violence in the book, but since it's done in a sort of, you know, Hawkman silhouetted and we see the, we don't see the actual mace going to his face, but we do see the aftermath with the blood and possibly some, you know, gray matter splattering on Hawkman. It's, it's done in a, in a nice subtle way. That's not again, gratuitous or, you know, overly violent. So like it, but you know, for a book like Guy Gardner warrior or Hawkman, in 1995, you know, again, we talked about this last time. There's no code stamp on the front of this book. Mm-hmm. This is a book that I would uh, a book where it's it's an action heavy, violent book. I would expect that. I I wouldn't at this. I mean, this is cover date of what September 1995. So we're still we're still in that post zero hour period. I would not pick up 
an issue of Superman leading up, say, to Action Comics 600 and expect to see uh, a guy getting coup de tat in the head. No. You know, because at that time it was it was recognized that different editorial offices knew what type of content would fly in what book. Mm hmm. And, and I think we've gotten away from that a little bit where and, and we we got away from that, I think, during like the after after identity crisis. And I think we've gotten back to it a bit now in in uh, the new 52, where, uh, for instance, in Flash, we would never see anything remotely this violent in Flash. But in Savage Hawkman, we would see something like this. Well, and I think that's I think that's something that's good for books. There should be books that where the characters should have a sort of lightness to them, and there should be books where there's a bit more darkness to them. Hawkman being a more, like the title says, the Savage Hawkman. You would expect that the book would have a bit more a bit more fighting, a bit more gore, a bit more violence in it than The Flash, which is supposed to be a sort of bright, airy, colorful character. So yeah. it makes sense. Right. It's a diff- and, and again, and I like that. I like that here we have a, a little niche of the universe that's made up of the warriors and not necessarily the superheroes, mm-hmm. you know? And so their, their, their books, uh, cater to a different demographic. So, uh, page 19. Yeah. Corrine is a babe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we, you know, we, we knew she had a good body from last issue, but, uh, but now she, she doesn't have a butterface. So <laughs> I, I like that. I like the word from when here is like, you missed your opportunity. Sorry. <laughs> and guys like, yeah. <laughs> like just guys sort of blase saying that. I I love that. Yeah, it's you almost expect guy to quote the bro code here or something. It's like <laughs> See, looking at him, I mentioned in the in the synopsis that they look like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Actually, comic book wise, I'm seeing more Psylocke and Longshot from the X-Men, if you remember those characters. Yeah, he does kind of look like Longshot with the blonde hair. Mm-hmm. The and sort that, of the, the, the blonde almost mullet. Yeah. And, and Psylocke, the, the most Asian British girl ever. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I, I know. Don't, don't tell me. I, I know why she looks Asian. That, that still doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. <laughs> and everyone was surprised when Revanche showed up and she wasn't as popular. It's like, yeah, because she looks British and not but she doesn't look Asian. <laughs> it's the 90s. Uh, yes, it is the 90s. Yeah. Um, I said this during the, the synopsis, page 21. When uh, Cardone comes back, I, I'm really not clear what's going on here. Is Cardone possessing Guy at this point? That's kind of what I'm assuming. I, I'm I'm getting the idea that uh, Cardone is this entity that's sort of yeah possessed Guy and has uh, come to exact justice on uh, Bronk, the uh, Tormach leader. So it, yeah, it is kind of weird, but I guess it sort of finalizes Guy as you know the last of Voldar. So, yeah. there you I go. mean, it did. I mean, this and then the ending with them looking off into the sunset struck me as slightly anticlimactic because Guy goes through all this and then he doesn't get to finish Gronk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he, it's his body, but it's Cardone who delivers the uh, the final blow and delivers, you know, justice. You know, to to quote uh, James Robinson. <laughs> so, and again, it it was slightly anticlimactic, but I almost like that. I I like that this story. Which hasn't had, which hasn't been about happy endings, doesn't really have one. It just kind of has a an ending where it, it's the end of the battle more so than they've they've solved a problem or something. Yeah, they, they've taken out the Tormach, but at what price have they done this at? You know, 
Yeah. Well, I, I agree. Uh, I think that's one of the things with uh, sort of ongoing comics is that you can't really have unless you're doing a limited edition series or you're doing, you know, a, a long form series that, you know, has a, a set ending that you really can't have a, a finality to the book. Because yeah. if it would have been Guy finishing off this and it would have been Guy saying this is my end, you know, it, it might not have worked as well. But, yeah, I do do kind of question why uh, Guy couldn't have done this on his own, why he had to be possessed by the spirit of Cardone, uh, except for the fact that it maybe allows Cardone a way to get his justice because, right. you know, basically his entire race was wiped out by the Tormachs, so. This would be something you would expect from a character who's not normally a lethal uh, combatant, you know, where it's like where let's say it's like, um, I don't know, let's say it's like Kyle Rayner, mm -hmm. Kyle Rayner, found, you know, like we saw with the whole thing with Major Force, he's going to kill him, he's going to kill him, he's going to kill him. So we all know Kyle's not going to do it mm -hmm. because that's a line that Kyle normally would not cross. Yes. Guy has, has especially in the warrior persona, has not had a problem crossing that line. No. For him to come in, for Cardone to come in on the second to last page and deliver the final blow, it doesn't save Guy from anything he hasn't already done. Yes. It's not like, it's like, well, I can't let you lose, you know, what you have and you're not a killer. It's like, Guy is a killer, though. Mm -hmm. You know? So well, I, it's, and, and, uh, as I said, it, it was just a little confusing because I hadn't read, they referenced Guy Gardner, Warrior Number Zero in the annual, and I haven't read those. I've just, I've heard your coverage and, so I, I wasn't 100 percent clear on what Cardone was talking about. So that that's my one failing with this story right here. I mean, you, you can, like I said, he, from his dialogue, you know that that what you know. Do you think I would not return after what your kind did to my world? You know, it's like okay, I got they these Tormox kill planets. Obviously, they killed this dude's planet. You know. Well, and it was, as we saw, or as it was mentioned in an earlier issue, that uh, Bronk and Karine were basically inhabiting the Tormach homeworld that they had decimated, you know, yeah. ago. so, you know, it, it, it makes sense, I guess, that he'd want to come back and finish the job, but yeah, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't absolve Guy, it doesn't, uh, you know, Guy's not a character, like you said, who was uh, adverse to actually killing people when it was in the uh, form of uh, be delivering justice. Yeah. Uh, so it wouldn't have been like, yeah, if you were like Kyle or Batman or someone who had a adversity against killing, Guy was willing to do this. So I don't see why it wasn't Guy. And know. it wasn't even like Bronk was prone or defenseless or very defeated. And then Cardone, you know, struck the final blow. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I mean, and, and I guess you could also read this as as Guy needing Cardone's strength at this time as well. But like I said, I, I like that it's anticlimactic. I, I actually do. I think it fits the storyline where everyone's just been put through the ringer, you know, every from Guy to Hawkman to the various Justice Leaguers. Everyone has just been put through the grinder and and uh, and the, and Guy's monologue or, or narrative at the end here talking about the warriors who've uh, shared here what can only be shared with warriors. I thought was a very nice ending to the story because it's, again, it, it goes back to Bo's um, thesis earlier in the book mm -hmm. about who, who this, who Guy Gardner is and who we're writing him as. And that this is where we want to take him. I think that, that kind of ending suits that kind of character, that, that ambiguous ending. What we would, what we used to call a Marvel ending, you know? Oh. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a nice ending 
it, it wraps up a storyline that had its ups and downs. Uh, the previous Guy Gardner issue I was kind of down on because uh, mainly because of the art. But yeah, it, it is a nice conclusion to the storyline. And uh, overall, it got me really interested in wanting to read the Hawkman books because Hawkman looks like a really interesting character and especially the artwork in the book. So I enjoyed the storyline even more than I thought I would. You know, uh, I had heard some things from uh, other people I had talked to about this, that the Way of the Warrior storyline was kind of uh, kind of meh. But uh, I actually really enjoyed the entire thing all the way through. I think if you're, I think if you're already a fan of Guy Gardner, you're kind of halfway there. Yeah. So people see Guy Gardner as just this, you know, jerk face doofus. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't want to freaking read about Guy Gardner at all. It wasn't even, he wasn't even a Green Lantern. It's that stupid warrior book. Mm-hmm. You know? But if you go in, I, I try to go in with books like this with an with an open mind, because yeah, a lot of these books in the '90s get a really bum rap, and a lot of them, a lot of them suck. Let's not mince words. There's a lot of terrible comics that came out in the '90s. Oh yes. But I try to go in with an open mind because especially at – it seems to me especially at DC that the, you know they, they would let the writers explore what they were looking to do with the character. And, and from what you've talked about and what I've read here, it really seems like Bo Smith had some very strong ideas about what he wanted to do with Guy Gardner and that um, you know uh, Eddie Reganza and some of the other editors at DC would say, OK, well, it wasn't like at Marvel – where the editors were essentially writing the books yeah. On, yeah. A lot of these, on a lot of these, where it seems here where it's like, okay, well, you've got this solo character. He doesn't really interact with too many other people. You know, he's not part of a team. Go ahead and explore that. And and if it doesn't sell, we'll come back, we'll re-examine it. Because we see the same thing with Bill Loeb's over on Hawkman. You know, uh, I mean, Hawkman Volume 3 launched off of the tail end of Hawkworld, which had been very successful uh, under John Ostrander. And Ostrander starts the series off. Well, it was very clear from the early books of uh, of Hawkman Volume Three that it wasn't capturing the same excitement that Hawkworld did. Uh, you know, I mean, we had a, we had a like a five part story with Count with Count Viper uh, switching people's bodies, where at one point Katar ended up in Shiera's body. Huh? Uh, yeah, because uh, Count Viper was in Shiera's body. And then he swapped bodies with Katar, and so he got Katar's body, and Katar was in Shiera's body, and Shiera was in a crazy old man in an asylum. And, and of course, you know, as soon as Katar gets shifted into Shiera's body, and he puts on the wingman's uniform, he goes, oh, it's a little tight across the chest. It's like, really? Uh, <laughs> okay. But Well, then. So when Loeb's comes on, it's very clear that he's got a, a strong vision of what he wants to do. He wants to get rid of the, you know, take the character in a completely new direction. And that's kind of what, what's done here with, with Guy Gardner moving from a Green Lantern to when he had the Yellow Ring to now this completely new direction that's divorced from all the Green Lantern stuff. And he's making him, you know, it's like, well, you know, we got this character. He, he's in his own book. Let's try something new. So that's why I try to go in with an open mind with these books, because I think a lot of times it may not have worked out. It may not have sold. But I think there's a lot of good ideas lurking in some of these books that just, you know, didn't find their audience at the time. Well, and one of the neat things that Bo Smith has done with the character of Guy Gardner is even though he's changed him into this warrior character, he completely hasn't invalidated all the stuff that happened beforehand. He still uh, takes account that Guy was originally a teacher and that Guy worked with uh, uh, children, uh, especially children who might have been handicapped or had special education things. 
uh, he doesn't shy away from the fact that Guy was initially a jerk and was painted that way, but he's grown the character of Guy to still be that sort of uh, hot-tempered sort of jerk character, but a likable one. So yeah. I like the fact that uh, uh, Bo Smith has been able to take the character in this direction, but he hasn't invalidated everything that came beforehand. Yeah, yeah. And and again, you, you said that this made you interested in reading Hawkman. This made me interested in reading more Guy Gardner. So from, from a crossover standpoint, that worked. I probably wouldn't start buying Justice League America. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Justice but, I, League. but you know what? I said this the last time, too. It's like even that, the, the second um, Justice League America book, made me interested in learning more about Ice Maiden. So mm-hmm. obviously it did its job to an extent. Mm-hmm. It made me interested in a character that I wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise. Yeah, well, and that's that's one of the things that these crossovers can do. And, and also, I want to uh, give credit to credits where credits due. This crossover was uh, was isolated to these three books: to the Justice League, the Guy Gardner Warrior, and the Hawkman book. It wasn't a world, you know. It it, it, de- it dealt with big situations, a you know uh, a galaxy uh, type of war thing, but it didn't crossover into the entire dc universe you didn't have to have superman you didn't have to have the green uh, you didn't have to have green lantern come in you didn't have to have the titans or any of the other major players in there it was just centered in these books and it's nice every once in a while to have these sort of big epic stories going on in these little books so i like the fact here that this isn't a a giant uh, crossover event that involves the entirety of the DC universe, because the, I know DC is getting away from that now, but I think for a while in the uh, early two thousands, they decided to do that over and over again. And it just got, it got tiresome. So I'm liking the fact that there was big event things going on here, but it only was, uh, it was contained in these three books. Yeah. Yeah. So you, yeah, you didn't need to buy, you know, 15 books to get, you yeah, know, the storyline right here. So yeah. I, I was, I enjoyed reading this. I was, I was glad that, uh, that you had me on to read this because it would have been a while before I got to this in my volume three reading a Hawkman. So this kind of put the jump start on that, but well, yeah, awesome. I, I enjoyed it a lot. It was, uh, it was a different than what I was expecting from it. I didn't know really what to expect from the justice league stuff. I mean, I knew a little bit about Guy Gardner from from you know what to expect from that from listening to this show. So I really enjoyed this, and I was uh, I said I'm gonna see if I can track down some more Guy Gardner and keep reading along here. Well, awesome! I'm glad that I'm glad that I got at least one person to check out Guy Gardner. I mean, not that this you know, as you've said before, uh, podcasting is sort of a cathartic thing. This is not th- this is us trying to basically get out, you know, and do something to promote the things that we really enjoy. It's, it's kind of a self-interested thing, but if I could get one person to go check out these books, because there are really good things in these books. And if uh, a person will uh, go and look at these books and give it a fresh eye and say, Hey, I really enjoy these. Or even if they go check them out and say, uh, these weren't for me, I'm glad uh, it ma- it makes me feel that I've done something. Yeah, we're contributing to the conversation. Oh, know? definitely. Uh, what uh, what I like, you know, I'm 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 a self-described eccentric. I like a lot of different things, which gets me in trouble because I like too many different things. And I and I, you know, so I'm always looking for something to to try that that's different. And you know, I I might not have given Guy Gardner a second look if not for listening to this show and then then reading this stuff. You know, right uh, earlier this past week, uh, real time, 
it was announced that Guy Gardner was going to become a major player in the Red Lanterns book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a year ago, I just said, I don't give a crap. You know, uh, it's like Guy Gardner is a guy that, that Batman knocked out. That's all he is, you know. <laughs> and, but now, again, reading these and because of you turning me on to them, it's like, hey, Guy Gardner is a Red Lantern. They did. I know they did that before New 52. I never read it. But it's like, but that's something I'm interested in seeing. Yeah, that you know, happened. That happened during the the whole Blackest Night thing initially, and then I think it carried on into the uh, the War of the Green Lanterns or whatever. So, uh, it, my, it could be interesting. Yeah, my, my friend Joe was a big Green Lantern fan. Yeah, his dad is retired uh, Air Force, and he he kind of grew up on an Air Force base almost. So it's like, yeah, of course he's a Green Lantern fan. Makes sense. <laughs> and, but but he but he was raving about that and at the time. Again, I was like, I don't give a crap about Guy Gardner. It's like you got to keep an open mind with this stuff and, and go in and you know you might you might be surprised. You know. Well, and I th- I think that's the thing that we need to to promote in all these comics because. A lot of these characters, and I, I've started listening to to Shag and Rob over at the Fire and Water podcast. And you know, to be honest, Firestorm and Aquaman were completely out of my uh, completely out of my wheel well. But after listening to them and listening to their enthusiasm about the characters and all that, it's gotten me interested in going and picking up some of the stuff and reading the books and uh, learning about these characters. So, if you keep an open mind on these shows and keep an open mind about these characters, you might actually find something that you really enjoy about them. So uh, I mean, I'm tr- trying to I, get people away from the, the just reading all the Batman books because yes, Batman is awesome, but there are other, there's a myriad of other characters out there that might just be as awesome and might be even more awesome to you. So, I mean, I got you to watch Ultraman and I've been loving it. I haven't gotten, I know, uh, is the one that you and, uh, uh, Shag talked about the uh, I can't remember which story line. Uh, my home is Earth. Yeah, my home is Earth. I have it. Is that on disc two? Because I'm almost finished with disc one, and I'm loving it. We'll talk more about this off the air. Yeah, I'm just saying it's not, but we'll we'll talk uh, about this. But okay. Uh, but yeah, I just want to say again, uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. I've really enjoyed doing these guest spots. I promise I will not be on next week. <laughs> well, actually, next week uh, we're probably going to be having another guest host because uh, it's an issue. Uh, where uh, Kyle Rayner is going to be dealing with the uh, Wally West Flash, and oh, I think I know who it might be. Uh, there might be a person who does a podcast about the Wally West Flash who might be coming on to uh, talk about the characters. So we'll see about that. But Luke, it has just been an amazing time having you on the show. Uh, why don't you go ahead and plug some of your stuff that you're doing on the internet uh, so people can get in touch with you or and uh, find out what you're doing? All right, uh, I can do that. If, if you're uh, interested in learning more about uh, Hawkman, I run a Hawkman blog, which is at beingcarterhall.blogspot.com. And uh, this blog started out as kind of my journey into becoming a Hawk fan. And uh, now it now that I've become a full-on Hawk fan, it's kind of in a in a different place. But it, I think it's a, it's 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 a good uh, again. If anything, anything you want to know about Hawkman, it's probably a good place to, to start. And uh, just give me a comment there, and we can talk about uh, the Winged Wonder in any form. Uh, I also um, I run a couple of podcasts, of course, with Sean uh, and the hair metal hero and Chris Honeywell. We do the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror on the Two True Freaks Network. Uh, we're in the process right now of doing uh, our Italian horror series. We're doing the films of Dario Argento right now. And we're also doing the Friday the 13th films as a mm-hmm. kind of project. Hopefully by this time we'll have the uh, 
first episode of Friday the 13th out, and we'll be looking forward to the second one coming down the line here in a few. Yeah. So we, uh, uh, in real time, the episode of Profondo Rosso for Deep Red is the latest one that's been released, which was a great a great film and a great episode. Oh, yeah, and we're uh, depending upon when we get together to record, Suspiria will be up next, and I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and then um, my personal podcast is Earth Destruction Directive, also on the Two True Freaks Network, which is a daikaiju podcast, which is Japanese giant monsters, where we talk about Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, Gamera, Ultraman, and everyone in between, and all your old favorites and probably some monsters you've never heard of. So if you like guys in giant rubber suits stomping on cities, this is probably a good show for you. And uh, um, I recently did a show, uh, you mentioned Shag of the Fire and Water podcast. Mm -hmm. Shag and I did a special where we uh, did a kind of a crossover between Earth Destruction Directive and a show that you're on quite often, Who True Freaks, which was our uh, Ultraman uh, X Doctor Who show. And I love the title for that. I, I can't. Let's see if I can pull up the title. Uh, it's Doctor Who X Ultraman, Big Dueling Showdown Across Time and Space, The Appearance of Time Lord Alien the Doctor. <laughs> oh, that is such... That is such a stereotypical, you know, Japanese title. I just loved that. That was brilliant. Yeah, uh, and so, but that was a lot of fun. We talked about the the the, the similarities and differences between Ultraman and Doctor Who, and uh, I think that was a lot of fun. I've gotten a lot of good feedback on that show. So if you like either uh, Daikaiju or Doctor Who, check that one out. Definitely. Yeah, and uh, like I said I'm I'm always on the the Two True Freaks uh, board, which is forumforgeeks.com. And go down to the Two True Freaks forum. And I said, if you want to talk Hawkman or Daikaiju or say, hey, get off of Sean's podcast, <laughs> you can find me there at one of those period places. So. Never. You are <laughs> always welcome back, sir. You are always welcome back. It is just a joy to talk. Well, I'm going to say uh, that's it for tonight. I think Luke and I are going to have a little discussion about Ultraman after this. But uh, I hope you guys uh, have a good weekend. And. We'll catch you next Friday on another episode of Just One of the Guys. See you then. Uh, thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too. And as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at justoneoftheguys, all one word, dot libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers, and whatever else I feel like putting in. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast, and be sure to leave a review there. I'd love to read you on the next episode. You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there, because I don't have an account there. But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenland podcast. So, uh, yeah, uh, that, that, I, what's amazing about Antlar in that, in that episode 
is that that's 1967 and Antlar looks about a bajillion times better than a Megalon would in 1970. Oh, good Lord. Yes. But yeah, I love the dynamic of the, uh, of the, the, the science patrol and I just love their uniforms. And I yes. love in the, I love in the first episode how they're all sitting around in like business suits and everything, and then to change their uniforms they just rip their business suits off, and underneath is essentially a giant orange vinyl business suit with yes. a tie. It is just I, I the design is just so fun. I love that. See that that's the that's the one thing that I really don't like about the new Fifty Two mm-hmm. is that. They're, they're giving some genre books a chance, but at the same time, they're they're not letting them stand on their own. Yeah. Now well, they, I know that they they pretty much canceled the the not uh, the Men at War or what was the yeah. Merv comic. First one that, War and the first two were Men at War and Black and Blackhawks. Yeah. And and they were both really good in concept, except they they put them you know Blackhawks fine that can work in the mainline DCU. Mm-hmm. But Men of, Men of War should have been just a straight war book. It shouldn't have been a war book set in the DCU. And then they did the same with um, with GI Combat, which was set squarely in the DCU. And then they did the same with uh, Sword of Sorcery. And it's like Amethyst, you know, it's like, yeah, Amethyst was in the DCU after the crisis, but she never interacted with the DC universe. Yeah. But they, they had to put John Constantine in there, and you know, they had to put Frankenstein in, in um, GI Combat. Yeah. Why let the genre book stand on its own two feet. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's that. And but again, that's I understand the marketing behind it. They don't. They want to. Say it's 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 all part of the same universe. You know, everything affects everything else. And, and I, I respect that. But it's like, you know, then then make a niche, uh, make something outside the new fifty two to do the genre books. 